continuing with the book of James this morning. We are in chapter 2, and um, we can be tempted to read scriptures like this kind of with a yawn, those of us that have been saved for many, many years, because we have forgotten how revolutionary Jesus Christ was and how he changed completely families and women and men and children. And so um, James is reminding us about our faith. He's reminding us to have a genuine faith. And Pastor Peter spoke last week on chapter one, and James is giving us tests to see how genuine our faith is, to see if we are truly in the faith. And last week, one of the tests were to how, what is your attitude like when you go through troubles? and tribulations and trials. And Pastor Peter reminded us that James said that we are to consider it pure joy. I'm already tapping out on that one because it's uh, trials and tribulations are things that happen to us and how we respond to that. But today in chapter two, we're going to be talking about things that are our response to life. And This seems like such a simple thing, like we should already know this and that we're already doing this, but James wants to make sure that we understand today. Now, as Pastor Peter mentioned last week, James, this, this book is not written to a particular church like Ephesus or, or, or Philippi or Galatia. This is written to the church that was dispersed. So, and it's also for you and I, of course, today. But he's saying there are two more tests that will show if your faith is genuine. And he's going to be talking about these two things in this chapter. And we're going to kind of skim through some things because we don't have enough time to read every verse. And we're going to hone in and drill down on certain things. So the first test is, do you show favoritism among the believers? Doesn't that sound so simple? We all know not to, not to show favoritism. So, But what does that actually mean? And what does that mean to, to Jesus if we do that? So favoritism, well, let's, let's read the verse first. That would be helpful. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here, here's a great place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over or sit there on the floor by my footstool. So we're going to stop it right there. James is saying this is incompatible with the Christian lifestyle. It's incompatible. Now the word incompatible means two things that are so opposite. They're so inconsistent that they cannot go together. And James is saying that if you show favoritism, and we're going to explain what that means based on someone's outward opinion, that is inconsistent with the Christian faith. That is inconsistent with what Jesus lived and died to talk about, to teach us. It's, incompa- it's incompatible. I love that. Now, favoritism literally means to look at the face. To look at the face. And so it's talking about looking and making judgments on your value and my value based on what I see with my eyes. 
That's what favoritism means. I am judging your worth based on what I can see about you. Based on what I can see with my eyes about you. And James is saying the genuineness of our faith will be tested if we give in to that temptation, that sin of judging people, judging their worth by how they look. Judging their worth by their social or economic situation. Judging the worth of a person by what you see with your eyes. And he's saying that making a judgment about their worth will cause you to treat that person differently. If you think they're very valuable, as that scripture said, very... um, very wealthy or very socially connected and you treat that person with favor a lot of times we'll do that because we think that person can give me favor right back but but jesus is saying and 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 james is saying here that that that's not how god views our worth that's not how god measures human value so i have a a, just a, a silly silly little example and about five years ago, we, we moved our office to, to home like, like a lot of people did. My husband's office is at the home now, as well as mine. Well, <clears throat> for those of you that know our family, Pastor Mark loves to farm. He loves to dig in the dirt. He loves to, to plant vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And it's been really, really dry lately, hasn't it? Do we all need rain? Can we all agree that we need the Lord to send some, some rain to Central Florida? But this is an example, and I, I am using this example to my shame. It's embarrassing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. So he'll, for example, he'll work upstairs or go sit at his desk. He'll study. About 30 minutes is all he can do at a time, 45 minutes. And then he's got to go move. He's got to go outside. He's got to go dig in the dirt. He's got to go do something with his hands. And so he's wearing his farm, what I call his farm clothes. Clothes that are stained from hard work. Clothes that are dirty from the dust. Have y'all mowed your grass lately? Or the, It's really, really dusty out there. And so... He'll like, okay, honey, I'm going to go into town. I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm going to go to... And I have found myself saying, if you meet someone new, because he always does. He's always meeting people and talking to people and loving people. I'm like, please don't tell him you're a pastor. (laughs) And that's horrible. That's horrible. That is horrible. Because he will exactly say, hey, I'm a pastor. You should come visit our church. I'm, and I'm like horrified. I'm, I'm, I love you, baby. You know I love you. And I'm, I'm, this is to my shame. This is to my shame. Like, I have said that more than once. Please don't tell anyone you're... Because of how he looks when he goes. With his farming clothes and his dust in the creases of his eye, of his, his, of his face. And I'm like, that is wrong. Now, obviously, I'm not judging his worth and his value on that. Obviously, I'm, I'm taking this example to the extreme. But you know what I'm talking about here. Judging a person, their value, based on what you can see. They're anything that's external. Now, 
if those of you that know my husband know there is not a, a better discipler around. He loves people. People are important to him, not clothes. And that's why it's embarrassing to use this example. Because I'm like, honey, let's change your shirt. Let's do... Because I'm making that external. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't be. You know, I still pick out his clothes for Sunday morning, right? I still want him to look good. I'm not... I, I am a wife. But basting what people think about him when he's just trying to get a good day's work in, a hard day's work in. Placing value. James is saying, the test of the genuineness of your faith is how we treat other people, other Christians. He's actually specifically speaking to other believers here. Now, let's just admit something before we go any further. We are terrible judges. I'm going to give you two reasons why I'm saying that we are terrible judges. Besides the fact that the Bible tells us not to judge based on what we see, we're terrible judges because our hearts are sinful. I mean, I, I want to do the right thing. I want to have the right attitude. I want to, I want to just like Paul said, the thing I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the thing I say, I will never do that, I find my heart straying toward that thing. So that's the, one of the reasons why we're terrible judges. The Bible says, do not judge. Paul said, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. That's how much I don't judge. But the second reason we're terrible judges is because we make poor judgments. We make poor judgments. And I'm going to give you an example, a very simple very simple example. Now, we are in the month of, what is it, are we in March now? We're, it's going so fast. It's like wings, with wings of a dove. Okay, so we're in March. So just think back to January. So we're just talking, what, two months, two and a half months. Now, how many of us, since January, how many of us know, this is just a, like I said, simple example. How many of us know the right things to eat? How many of us know we should be eating more vegetables? No, we should be drinking more water. No, we should be avoiding sweets. No, we should... Is there anyone in this room that doesn't know what to do when it comes to nutrition? I mean, have you been living under a rock or whatever? No, we know what to do. But now just think. Think. Just in the last couple months. You know what to do. You know what to fix. You know what to eat. And how, but yet how many, and I'll just raise my hand, eating chips, hot dogs, all the things that I know. Okay. If I didn't get you on that one, let's think of another example. We make poor judgments. We make poor calls. Okay, so how many of us know that we should protect what comes into our mind, that we should protect the things that we think about, the things that we watch, the places that we go. We know what we should be watching or doing or reading, and we know what we should not be watching and reading or places that we're going. And yet, do you find yourself doing that thing that you know you should not be doing? So that's why the Bible says don't judge, because we are terrible, terrible judges. 
And yet we continue to judge people, countries, forms of government. We continue to judge even though we ourselves are not trustworthy in that area. So God says, don't do it. I am the judge. I alone can look at someone's heart and tell what is there. You're looking at the outward appearance. So let's move a little bit faster. Favoritism is incompatible. Favoritism is inconsiderate of God's choices. Now let's think about it for a moment. People, you and me, we have a tendency to judge someone's value by how nicely they're dressed, right? We think about the a prophet Samuel in the Old Testament. Most of us know this scripture where God said, you know what? Saul is no longer, he has, he has fallen out of favor, he has sinned, he is no longer going to be king over Israel. I want you, Samuel, to go, and I want you to find the one that I'm going to anoint as the next king of Israel. So he tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. Samuel does. And guess what Samuel does once he gets there? Well, surely it's the oldest son. Surely it's the oldest. God's like, no not the oldest. Well, surely it's the tallest, the most grand looking. Nope, wasn't him. Surely it's the one that's handsome. Nope. And so Saul goes down the line. He's like, is this, is there anybody else here? I mean, this is it. And then Jesse said, no, I got, we got the young one. He's out playing a harpsichord, looking after the sheep. And God said, he's the one. He's the one. God said, let me see if I wrote it down here. Do not consider how they look, how they sound. Don't consider their height. Don't consider how they look. <laughs> One of the things that really annoys me is when you hear, and my husband knows this, when you hear a news person say, they died, it's such a tragedy that they died because they were so beautiful. Would it be less of a tragedy if they had a wart on their nose? Would it be less of a tragedy if, if, if they were not beautiful or talented? It's such a tragedy they were so talented. Because we judge by what we see. And God's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't judge by what. I don't judge the way you judge. How many times have you heard, or maybe you've said it yourself, Oh, if so-and-so, some big star, some big movie star, or some big singer, I won't use any singers' names except for Legend of Force. I won't use any singers' names because they might really be Christians, but you can't. if you can't tell by their lyrics, then I don't buy it. But how many times do you hear people say, oh, if, if so-and-so would just get saved, how the influence they would have, the influence they would have, the platform for Jesus. God's like, I don't need so-and-so. I don't look at people the way you look at people. You know what? He chose me, a nobody, and he chose you, another nobody. But yeah, we're all walking around here thinking, oh, the beautiful, if just the, the most beautiful person would get saved, if the most talented person would get saved, if the most, because we judge by what we see. And God says that is wrong. The genuine test of your faith is, do you judge people based on what you see about them? Geniuses are not more special to God 
than me. Movie stars are not more special to God than you. God's looking at our heart. He's looking at our intentions. Okay. So the reason James is so hot under the collar about this is because the witness of the early church was being compromised because you would see people coming in and they were given the best seats because of, of their economic status. They were given the best seats because of their social status. And that is the antithesis of what Jesus came to this earth to do and to say and to be. It, in Christ there is no Greek or Jew. In Christ there is no, that doesn't mean that we're all genderless, faceless. It just means God does not judge people the way we judge people. So James is like, look, this is bad. This is not good. You are judging people based on how, what you can see with your face what you can see, and you're trying to get favor with them, and this is not pleasing to God. And this was damaging the witness of those early Christians. It was damaging the assembly, because just think about it for a moment. Sometimes they would um, witness, they would worship in the synagogue. Sometimes they would worship in house churches. And you might have one week someone coming to present the word in that house church that was a slave of someone else. So you have wealthy people coming and sitting and listening to the word by someone who has said, you know what, I owe a lot of money. I'm going to indenture myself to you for however many years so that my family will not be thrown in prison. And so in the Christian culture, in the Jesus movement, he's like, You're, there is no slave or free. You, a rich person will sit there and listen to the word from someone that they might go, isn't that Billy Bob's servant? See, we just have this thing. It's the prettiest that God wants. It's the most talented that God wants. Can God, can God use that? Yes, of course. But our thinking is that God would rather have someone that we think would be beautiful we think would be lovely. This would be great for the cause, and that's not how God thinks. Okay. To move along. Test number two. Okay, so we all got past the test last week. What is your faith like? What is your attitude like when you're going through trials and troubles and temptations and tribulations? That shows the genuineness of your faith. Also, how do you treat people that are different from you? Because in Christianity, it is incompatible to show favorites based on how, how much money someone makes or how beautiful they are. Or if they can do favors back for you, that's incompatible. Now, the next test is, is your faith alive and demonstrated by your good works? So let's read a little bit here and we'll finish up. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Okay, now remember as Christians, for those that have accepted the finished perfect work of Jesus on the cross, uh, and Pastor Peter alluded to it at the baby dedication, we will not be judged for our sin. That our the sin issue is taken care of because of the blood of Jesus. That we say that covers our sin. His perfect life 
is imputed to me. So we will not be judged on our sin. But by according to the law of freedom, we will have to give an account for what we've done with what God has given us. The law of freedom. What have we done with the freedom in Christ that Paul talks about so much? We are free in Christ, so what are we doing with it? And James is saying, you know what? If you have faith, if you're not, if there are no actions, if you're not putting that faith into good deeds, is that really faith that saves? You have to think about it because it's somehow at odds with what the Apostle Paul says. And yet we know this is true because it's in the Bible. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who is not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? It's just so easy to go to, but I don't need works. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's the faith in Christ, and, and, and that's what I'm standing on, and that's what I'm standing on too. But James is saying here that if your faith is genuine, if your faith is real, that faith will produce good works. It will produce something. It will produce fruit for someone else to eat. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. And I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? And it goes on. I had to cut some of it out because of our time. But he talked about um, Abraham and his son Isaac, saying that Abraham had faith when he offered up his son Isaac. But I like this, this illustration. It speaks to me more. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. We're going to wrap up with this. But Rahab, she was a poor, abused woman all of her life, her entire life. She was sold into slavery and ended up in, in, the, in the life of prostitution. That's what, that's what she did to survive. And along comes these men, and they tell her about a God that is getting ready to bring judgment to that city, the king of Jericho. And what does she do? What does the Bible say you, she does? Do you remember that? Remember, she's also in the lineage of Jesus now. She hears the word. She believes their report. She believes what they said. And because she believed, now, I, I, this is just my opinion. You can argue with me or, or disagree, that's fine. I believe if she had said, yes, I believe what you're saying, gentlemen, yes, and that was it, I think she would have had eternal life, but I think she would have perished with the city. It's not one or the other. She believed the report. She believed in the God that these men were telling her about. She believed it. And that belief 
prompted action, not just action like, oh, okay, I'll raise my hand, action that could have cost her her life. And for all she knew, it would have. She put her own life at risk by hiding these men. Not only just hiding them, she redirected the, 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 the people that were in charge that were looking for these men, that were looking for the spies. She hid them. And then she told them, okay, go out this way when you go so that they will not, you will not be found. She heard the word. She believed the word. And based on that belief, based on her faith, that God was who he said, these men said he was, she took action. So James is saying, look, look, faith has to produce action. If it's genuine, it has to produce action. If it does not have works, if you do not have fruit in your life, is your faith, is it real? I'm not saying, are you a Christian? No, of course, of course you're a Christian. But it, ha it has to produce something. Faith produces something. Would you stand with me, please? I'm gonna, the best way I, I think of for me to... To keep this in check. It's okay, faith. I have to have works. But now, it, are the works causing me to, to be saved? No, of course not. There's nothing I can do that would be spectacular enough or rich enough or deep enough or high enough to purchase my salvation. So clearly, it's based on what he did. And yet, my response to what I believe, it should be shown in my behavior. My faith should shape my behavior. My faith should inform every decision that I make. It's not a private thing. It is a very public thing because people see the choices I make. People see the places I go. People see the things I spend my money on. That's, it's, it, it's, it's all about the faith is, is real in my heart, but it produces something. So how do you know if, you're, if the good works you're trying to do it has turned into something where I, I feel like I'm striving, I feel like I'm just working for my salvation? How do you know that it hasn't become that? And so this story, this not story, it's an illustration. Let's, I'm going to use father and son just for ease of storytelling. I could be father and daughter. It could be mother and son. doesn't really matter. I'll say father and son. So father has built up a business, worked his whole life, same with his father, and he has a son. And the son wants to be in the father's business. And so the father is very exacting. And he makes sure that the son learns the business from the ground up, makes him stay longer, makes him work harder than any other employee, because that's his son. And his son wants to earn that place of being able to have the business. So year after year, the son works for his father to earn a place, to earn so he can say, I genuinely know this business from the ground up. I deserve this. It's not just handed to me because I'm your son. One day, the father dies, as is the way with all of us. The father dies, and all of the business goes to the son. Every, every piece of acreage, every piece of equipment, everything now belongs to the son. It's his to do with whatever he wants. 
Now the relationship has changed. The son is no longer earning, trying to earn his place with his father. That, that, that day is over. Now the question becomes, how will you steward what is now yours? How will you steward it? And I, that's how I see this, this relationship between faith and works. I, my works do not earn me a place with God. That place is secured by the sacrifice on the cross that I have accepted. But since I have been given freedom in Christ, how will I steward that freedom? What kind of witness will I be for the people I come into contact with every single day? It's not about striving anymore. It's not about, what well, did I do enough? It's not about, have I learned enough? Am I good enough? Now it becomes, it's mine. It's mine. It's all mine. Now what's the best thing? How can I show my great gratitude and my great love? How can I make this business really be about something special? So that's how I see this. Um, Pastor Dave, if you'll come out, we're going to pray. I'm going to have you pray for us. Um, I think it's, I, I, I just had this uh, memory come back to me as you were talking. And um, I remember there was this thing I was trying to achieve and I, was, I had to go and spend a lot of money to achieve it. And I went with this older man who was kind of helping guide me do this thing. And I went to go pay the bill and he slaps the card out of my hand and then he like pays this huge bill. And I'm like, uh, I felt like embarrassed, like, cause that's a lot of money for this person to spend on me that I wasn't anticipating. And, but I was also like very grateful cause they helped me get to something that I was struggling to do. And I, I think about the cross in that way too. Like there's, it's almost embarrassing when you really look at the value paid for you, what, what God got in return. And it's just like, wow, you, you put so much more value on people than I do, God. Help me to see people the way that you see them. Help me to see the price that you wanted to pay for that, that person that I'm judging in my head. So I, I almost want to pray a repentance thing where I'm asking for God's forgiveness because I, I still do this. I still judge people's value in a wrong way. I can't be the only one. Um, so let's do that. So Father, first of all, I thank you for, for doling out so much grace on me and, and paying and, and a way overpaying for what you got in me. But Lord, I thank you for that. It humbles me when I think about it. It humbles me to see how good and giving that you are. And Father, I repent right now for putting a, a wrong value on people that I've seen in my daily life and at work, in my own home, when I, when I value people in a way that is just absolutely against what James is trying to desperately teach us. So Father, help that sink down to our bones, to our heart, to our very core, so that we can start to see people the way that you have seen us and, and help us to live that and walk that out. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.